Hi everybody, you're listening to the HEC MBA Private Equity and Venture Capital Club podcast, a podcast that brings professionals of the industry directly to your ears. Hello everyone, my name is Aditya Dangi, and today we are happy to host Zahid Ahmed Hassan, Director at Arch Emerging Markets Partners, who is currently based in Nairobi. We are honored to have you here with us today, Zahid. How are you? Thanks, Aditya. I'm, I'm doing well. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Zahid. So you have a very interesting background of somebody who's worked across different countries in Africa. And if you could just possibly give us a glance into your career journey, where did you start and what path did you take to enter the investment space in Africa? Sure. So uh, I started to be a chartered accountant. So I did a accounting degree after which I worked at Deloitte in South Africa to do my sort of articles, followed by a brief spell at Deloitte in London, uh, after which, again, I returned to South Africa. It was 2008, just the financial crisis. Uh, my preference was to have tried, you know, secure a role in, in London, but that was proving challenging. So I returned to South Africa where I joined a, a company called Allocap, a boutique uh, corporate finance firm that had a small private equity fund uh, as well. I was focused, you know, a lot more on the sort of corporate finance side. Uh, and that's sort of, you know, probably I'd say my first uh, step into the investment space in, in Africa. Uh, at Allocap, we focused you know, predominantly on transactions in South Africa. And after a few years with Allocap, you know, I decided that I wanted to join a firm that would give me exposure to you know, opportunities or transactions outside of South Africa. Uh, I wasn't looking for anything in the energy space. I was more looking for you know, opportunities uh, with more geographic reach. Uh, I eventually found a role at Biotherm Energy, which is a renewable energy IPP company uh, doing projects across the continent. I joined within their project finance team and you know, over time worked on business development, M&A opportunities, uh, et cetera. Biotherm was owned by a private equity firm. So obviously being a portfolio company, ended up getting sort of, you know, some private equity uh, experience through, through that aspect. Um, after a few years at Biotherm, I decided to then, you know, head out to HEC and do my MBA, uh, which was then followed by, you know, going back to Biotherm. However, after doing my MBA, my goal was to, you know, return to Africa, but be based anywhere besides South Africa. And that's how I ended up in, in Ghana for you know, just over a year and a half. And now I've been with Arch Emerging Markets, which is a private equity fund. I'm within the Africa Renewable Power Fund uh, based in Nairobi for you know, just, just over two years. Yeah, interesting. And during these 15 years when you were based in Africa, of course, Africa went through a lot of changes as well. And more so in the recent years with, with a lot of renewable energies um, establishing a presence in the country. How have you seen Africa change from your perspective? I'd like to just probably draw a slight distinction here between, you know, probably my pre-MBA sort of career in which I was focused a lot more in in South Africa. I've probably been in you know, outside of South Africa for the past five years. 
Uh, and I think South Africa operates slightly differently to, to the rest of you know, the African continent, maybe not North Africa, given that it's slightly more developed, uh, the financial markets and the financial systems are a lot more robust uh, compared to what we see in, in other African countries. I think you know, what I've seen over my career is that you know, there is a lot of development uh, across South Africa included. There's a lot of infrastructure projects going on renewable energy and you know energy in particular is a very core sector for for countries given that it's a key driver for you know economic development and growth so you know i think africa still has you know a lot of room for opportunity uh, and a lot more growth uh, but it is a challenging market in which to actually do transactions given that you know there's a much longer lead time compared to more developed and other emerging markets that's very interesting. And you mentioned that one of the reasons why you wanted to do an MBA and come to HEC was because you wanted exposure to other parts of the world and also other parts of Africa. So when you did come here, what was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think doing an MBA is, is something that I'd always earmarked to do at some point in time in my career. Um, fortunately, I got the opportunity to to go to HEC, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my experience at HEC. It, it, you know, it did open up my mind. It did take me out of sort of a comfort zone of being in South Africa for such an extended, such an extended period of time. And you know, I think after doing my MBA and you know, living in in, in France for a year and then doing a semester in Spain and Barcelona, I just got this sort of confidence in myself that I could basically take that experience and, you know, move to other countries and, and learn there and love and, you know, adapt and interact with people. And, you know, doing my MBA, there were people in my class who, you know, had worked for probably half the amount of years I'd worked and had lived in three or four different countries. So, you know, taking from other people's experiences and other people's learnings, you know, you, you then chart your own path afterwards. Yeah. Interesting, because uh, a lot of times when we think about doing an MBA, we think about the, the things that we're going to learn, the technical side or the network that we want to build. But it's very interesting that you mentioned that HEC also gave you that confidence and the desire to want to work in different countries and, and go beyond South Africa and, and, and try something new. Yeah, so th that's a good point that you make. It's like, you know, you, when you get into your MBA, you, you should probably try to approach it with an open mind and not be just centered on the coursework or finding a job or, you know, that those are all critical things, but there's a lot more of personal development and I feel personal growth that actually happens. And you just have to be aware that it's happening to then take advantage of it going on. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because sometimes when students come to an MBA program, we can have a very singular focus and I'm also part of that bucket. But I also realized that maybe having that openness can drastically enhance your experience here. So when you did come to HEC, of course, you're involved in a lot of activities, professionally, academically, socially. How did these experiences affect you when you went back first to Biotherm and also over the long run? 
I, I think because I, you know, you come, I, I've come from more finance background and, and, and worked in the finance industry. You know, I think your, your, your MBA, when it comes to some of the course, courses, you know, when it comes to finance and accounting, you know, you generally are pretty well prepared and, you know, you have a good skill set. Uh, but I, I feel, you know, just for me, it was interacting with, with people, getting to know people, learning from different people's experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, working with with people from different countries, uh, I think you learn like a softer skill set. You know, from the group dynamics. You know, you you're working in a group of six people, and everybody's from a different country. Whereas, you know, typically in my roles, you'd, you'd be working at a company, and you know, eighty to ninety percent of the people at times would probably be South African. Um, and learning to interact with different cultures, learning to to communicate more effectively with people whose native language may not be English, uh, you know, you learn those type of skill sets that you've been able to apply uh, when you go into to your new role. I think the the networking aspect is is probably pretty critical, uh, you know, just by by being at the school and by meeting a whole lot of people in your class. You know, when you're going on travels and you're doing work missions to to different countries. You just look up HEC and you look up any other people who are there and, you know, you can leverage of that network. If you're going to a country or you're trying to do business in a country for the first time, there's probably somebody there who can, you know, point you in the right direction to, you know, some advisors or some other opportunities uh, that you probably wouldn't have had had you not gone and done your MBA. So I, I'd say for me, the skill set that you took, out of the MBA and applying it was definitely, you know, a lot more on the softer skill side. Um, All right, thank you. And of course, currently you work at Arj Emerging Markets Partners. Can you share a bit more in terms of what kind of investments does it focus on? So in terms of strategy, in terms of the different funds that it has, and how also does it differ from other emerging market funds? Sure. Yeah, so Arch Emerging Markets is, you know, an investment advisory firm seeking to raise funds focused on emerging markets uh, across a few different sectors. I sit within the sort of flagship fund, the Africa Renewable Power Fund. Uh, Another fund is the Cold Chain Solutions Fund for East Africa, which will seek to, you know, go out and build sub-zero warehousing, refrigeration and providing end-to-end logistics. There's some funds sort of at earlier stages, you know, credit funds, um, funds focused on natural resources. uh, And yeah, that's probably others which are a bit too early to to mention at this stage. I think what probably sets Arch apart apart is, you know, it's it's focus on emerging markets uh, and potentially also on making sure that we have people based in sort of the key locations that we we targeting. I'll touch a bit on the the Africa Renewable Power Fund in which I sit. Uh, so our mandate is to do renewable energy uh, across Africa, focused ac- across multiple technologies: wind, solar, biomass, geothermal, hydro, as well as focusing on sort of the off-grid sector, which is you know CNI or distributed generation, mini grids, and solar home system companies. So that's, that's a bit about Arch. I can go into a bit more detail. Uh, so just let me know. 
Thank you for sharing that. And I want to know a bit more about the very initial part of, of the deal process. So how does deal sourcing take place and how do you come across new investments? Yeah, so de deal sourcing is, you know, a, probably a, a very critical aspect of, of my role. I, I think it, it, it's all again here about your network, you know, who you know in the space and, you know, being at the forefront of being presented with, with some of these opportunities. So generally, I'd say advisors uh, in the space are a good source of potential deal flow, either ranging from, you know, financial advisory companies or, you know, the, the legal firms generally are also quite helpful for potential opportunities. And then it's a matter of, you know, going out there and, you know, making people know that, you know, this is who you are, this is your mandate. And, and what I found is typically over time, you know, opportunities will find you because there's always people out there looking for, for funds. What's more important than just finding opportunities, it's finding good opportunities that are worthy of, you know, spending more time on undertaking the due diligence and then making the investment and, you know, hoping that the investment that you've made pays dividends uh, when you exit uh, in a few years time. Thank you. And of course, there's a long process between sourcing the deal and the exit in the end. And what does it look like once you've sourced the deal? So at the approval stage, at the execution, the management of the asset, what are these processes like? Yeah, so I think, you know, maybe I'll just go a bit more into detail here. There's, there's probably within our space, uh, within the energy space, there's, there's probably two different type of deal structures that, that you'd come across. There's your typical, what I call corporate deal, where you would go in and invest your equity into an existing company and, and that company you know, has its own people and is selling a product or is essentially developing other renewable energy projects. The, the other type of investment that we do is where we would partner with another developer within the energy space and, and together jointly develop either a large scale wind or, or solar project. So, you know, in, in terms of the approval processes uh, or the due diligence that goes on, they, they're slightly different. But if we had to focus on a more typical corporate uh, equity transaction, you'd be presented with the opportunity uh, internally in the team, you'll discuss it, you'll undertake some initial analysis. If it's part of your mandate, if it fits you know, your strategy and, and, and you think there's an opportunity here, you then delve deeper into undertaking you know, a much more detailed due diligence, preparing a screening note or preparing the required materials to take the opportunity through to your investment advisory committee. Now, depending on the type of fund you're at, there's different sort of levels of approval. We have a three-stage approval process. And at each stage of the process, you either are unlocking a certain amount of budget to undertake a more detailed due diligence, undertake site visits, and you know, over time working towards finalizing the legal agreements and closing the transaction. You know, as part of this process, you will appoint advisors depending on the type of the transaction. Uh, you know, maybe you'll appoint a financial advisor to assist you and you know on the valuation aspects. 
you'll definitely have legal counsel. Sometimes you'll have technical advisors. So that's sort of the process that you'd run doing your due diligence, you know, negotiating the legal agreements. And once you get sort of approval from your final committee, you'll then finalize the investment, fund the, fund the opportunity. And after that stage, you know, you still have to go through, you know, continuous, you know, work with the portfolio company in terms of, um, you know, working with them to, you know, improve aspects, you know, grow the revenue, further develop projects. So the portfolio management aspect, you know, also is quite critical because your goal is to grow the company, create more value, and then sell it to somebody else and, you know, at a higher, at a higher price. Thank you for sharing that process. And although it sounds slightly challenging with so many variables, but it does also seem so interesting. What I want to know more is, are there challenges that are specific to the type of renewable energy that you're investing in? So for example, do you see any challenges in solar that you wouldn't otherwise see in wind or biogas? Yeah, so, you know, I think if you're doing sort of the, the larger scale utility projects where your government is the, the off-taker, uh, so you'll be selling to the state-owned utility, I think no matter the technology you deal with, some of the challenges are the same. A key one generally is, you know, country risk and in particular regulatory what you do find is there's a lot of projects and a lot of opportunities, but at, at times going through the process with the required stakeholders, that takes quite a lot of time. And that over time can essentially, you know, make you stop a project just because you're not getting the required buy-in from the, the required authorities. You may start facing further competition from new players who are able to, you know, start the process at a later date and come in with, you know, lower tariffs. They may have, you know, different business models that make it easier for them to uh, offer returns that you are below your hurdle rate. So that I would say sort of a, a common thread. Uh, I think from a technology perspective, generally solar is probably, I would say, you know, the easiest to implement. And I think that's not just specific to Africa, you see probably globally. I think with wind, uh, things do start getting a little bit more complicated as you, you know, venture through uh, slightly more underdeveloped countries. You need to have pretty good, you know, road uh, networks, you know, to transport the wind turbines. Uh, and then I think when you come to technologies, maybe like geothermal, you generally are taking a lot more risk from a development perspective because it's sort of like, you know, exploration, you need to drill wells, there's no guarantee that you're gonna hit a resource. So there's sort of a, a development and a funding risk associated with that. Um, on the hydro project side, I think depending on the type of hydro project you're implementing, we generally try to implement slightly smaller hydro projects, more run of the river technology, but hydro projects at times do come with slightly more environmental uh, challenges and constraints, which uh, can be pretty, uh, 
you know, time consuming to solve because there's a lot of emphasis from investors in order to ensure that, you know, your projects are structured and built to, to very high ESG uh, standards. That's very interesting, specifically the part where you mentioned that wind energy is highly dependent on the country's infrastructure. I want to know more about some of the challenges that are specific to Africa or African countries that you wouldn't otherwise face in a developed region or a developed nation. I think the the biggest challenge that, that you face on, on some of these projects is, you know, regulatory and governmental approval processes. I, I think com- compared to, you know, maybe more developed markets uh, across the globe, there's a very well-defined set of policies, there's a process, uh, and as long as you follow the process, the projects are typically implemented. Whereas I find, you know, with projects in Africa, a country will, will run a tender process, you may be successful in the tender, but there's no guarantee that even if you are the preferred bidder, that your project will actually get to financial close or potentially the timeline from you know being awarded a project to, to getting financial close can go into you know four or five years you know there's been projects in development here which that timeline seven eight years you know up to 10 years on some projects and you know that that is a very long period of time to be developing a project uh, especially for a private equity investor so when when we look at projects you know we look at the opportunity and, and we look at the the likelihood that the project can get to financial close within you know as short a time period as possible. And even if you do all your homework and you think this is a market, you know, you could be hit by you know a timeline in which there's an election in the country and there's a change in the ruling party. And generally when that happens, you know, things grind to a halt. In the run-up to elections, you know, nobody wants to make any decisions at times. Uh, if there's a change in ruling party, you know, or prior projects at times get reviewed again. You know, I, I suppose these are just the the challenges that you face and that you try to build into your into your analysis. But you can always face, you know, unknowns, and it's a matter of how you deal with them at the time. And one of these challenges. Uh, is of course COVID in the current environment. Has it affected your investments or your role? So I think, you know, during the past year, uh, what we've done is we've sort of focused our attention and managed to close three investments, probably what I would call in the corporate equity space uh, with companies that are doing, you know, more, CNI projects or solar home system companies from a point of view that, you know, there isn't that much government approval processes required for our investment into these companies, which has allowed us to, to close the opportunity on some of the more traditional IPP projects with, you know, government offtake. Yes, there's, there's been delays on, on those projects from a practicality point of view, you know, we haven't managed at times to travel to some of our portfolio companies to, you know, sit down and meet with them. But I think we've managed to adapt to 
the online approach. And I, I think we've, we've managed to so far weather the storm pretty well, having closed three pretty good investments to date. Okay, that's nice to hear. And coming back to HEC and to, to business schools. So today, after having gone through HEC, as an industry veteran, if you were to hire an individual coming out of a B school, what kind of skills would you look out for? Yeah, I think for me, it's probably, you know, when when you're looking for somebody who is going to work sort of in on projects in Africa, you're going to want somebody who's going to need to understand the, the patience that you need to have at times when it comes to dealing with opportunities and projects in, in Africa. You know, you're not going to be closing deals continuously, you know, even though we'd like to, you're going to have to be, you know, able to, you know, pay out sort of maybe a dry period at times. From a skill set point of view, I think, you know, you, you need to have a good grasp, I'd say, of, you know, finance, finance uh, conceptually. However, sort of within the private equity space and the fund, you know, we, we do look for people from, from other backgrounds. So, you know, if you're an engineer, that's a great skill set to have because on projects, there's always technical aspects that, that we look for people. I think it, it is definitely a very hardworking environment. The teams are small, so you're going to need to be able to, to put in the hours. It is also, you know, a long-term game, private equity, given sort of the incentive structures that are in place. Um, so you're going to look for people who, you know, you, when, when speaking with them and that you know that they are here for the long-term and they're going to be able to, you know, weather the storm, put in the required hours and, you know, be, be flexible because you're not looking at the same type of project every day, uh, which also requires you to invest time in yourself to go out and, and learn about new technologies uh, at the same time. And what advice would you give somebody who's interested in pursuing a career in private equity investments, but does not have the relevant experience? Yeah, I think, you know, you, you need to be realistic and it's something that, you know, I speak to people all the time about, you know, or sort of colleagues of mine within the MBA. Yes, there are people in the class who will go out and, you know, do a triple switch and go from one career to, to something different, but, you know, you should try. But I think at times you need to understand, you know, what are your strengths, you know, and, and my, my big belief is to play to, to your strengths. And if you don't have finance background or you don't have the required skill sets and you're struggling to, to land the role in PE, my suggestion or my advice would be is to try find a, a bridging stone, you know, take a, take a first step. Maybe that means going into consulting. Uh, secondly, it could be, you know, maybe working at a portfolio company of a private equity fund. Or if you come from a specific sector, maybe like that use healthcare and you're trying to get into private equity, maybe target private equity funds that are focused on, on the healthcare sector. That way there, you know, maybe you won't make it directly within to the, into their investment team. You could be put into the operational team within the private equity fund. So I, I think you need to play to your strengths understand your, your limitations, 
getting into private equity, you know, isn't very easy. The opportunities are, are limited. Firms generally like to hire people who they feel can hit the ground running. That's not to say that people are, aren't hired from, you know, uncommon backgrounds, but you need to make your case really strong. All right. Thank you. That's very insightful. And towards the end of our podcast, and I just had a few closing questions. And this one is a bit more personal in nature, but is there any aspect of your personal life or some life-changing experiences or events that have happened who have shaped who you are today, both personally and professionally? Um, The one thing I would say is, you know, I definitely feel doing the MBA has had a pretty significant impact on on my life. And as I mentioned earlier, it's not just professionally, I'd say it's it's personally as well. During my MBA, I, I was with my wife during the time and, you know, both of us together, even though she wasn't doing the MBA, have, you know, learned from that experience and, and, and grown and embarked on, you know, these journeys of, you know, living in different places ever since. I think from a professional point of view and a career point of view, I'd say my my move to biofilm energy at the time, I didn't know much or to be honest, probably nothing about the renewable energy sector going into the role. And I think, you know, I've gotten, I'd say pretty lucky uh, in finding myself in a, in a sector which has become extremely topical and one that I think is, is gonna be quite important for a very long time to come. Thank you for sharing that. And what are your hopes in a post-COVID world, both professionally and personally? Post-COVID world, when are we going to get there? Just like everybody else, you know, to the extent possible, just being able to do the things we used to do, you know, go out, meet people, travel, and, and you know, just probably just try get back to, to living a normal life or what can be considered normal going forward. I think, I think for me personally, I, I think the lack of being able to travel um, has been sort of a key aspect. And then from a professional point of view, I, I fully agree that, you know, you can work offline, you can work from home, you can work remotely and it's proven successful. I, I do feel that it's not a solution that you can do forever. I do feel that you need some amount of time within an office and also interacting with other people. From a private equity perspective, I think that's also pretty critical because you do want to you know, meet the management team of, of, of the companies on a regular basis, interact with them because you know, an investment in, in another company, you know, you're investing in a team and you're investing in people. Uh, and that, that relationship aspect is, is definitely quite critical. But I hope we get there soon. Yeah, I hope we all get there soon. Yeah. We're already at the end of our podcast. That was extremely insightful. And thank you so much, Zahid, for being with us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. If anybody has any questions, uh, please let me know. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode today. And if you did, please don't forget to leave us a comment on our LinkedIn page. Thank you so much for being with us. And until next time. Bye.